He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Mr. Brendan Nunez from the Kings Herald and the Kings Pulse Pod- Podcast. What's going on, Brendan? Not much, James. Um, you know, we're back at it after the All-Star break. You've called it multiple times to me the sprint, and I guess we're uh, just in the first leg of that. Uh, we are in the sprint. Yeah, it's uh, this is that moment where uh, the thing, it goes by so quickly that you're just like, what in the world just happened? And I think, I mean, when you're doing this for the first year where you're there full time, you're there as much as possible, it probably already feels like a sprint. But then it's a, a sprint that on occasion you get like a stitch in your side and you're like, oh, I need to slow down for a sec. Uh, yeah, right? That was trade deadline, yeah. And then much needed all-star break and... Uh... The game has slowed down for me. There it is. <laughs> it, there it is. I think it batters you, like especially for when you cover a losing team. It, the the trade deadline and all that stuff. That's that last hurrah where you spend everything you've got to get through the trade deadline, right? Because you know that like just coming up right around the corner is the All Star break. But that sprint to get through the trade deadline. But it's really the bad month of December and the the bad month of January that takes the wind out of your sails. And I think that there is a way for this thing to like go smoothly all the way through. Uh, but that's not the way it works in Sacramento. Yeah. Have not, you ever not, experienced it smooth all the way through James? No, no. Um, no, I, I think the, the best season, I mean, clearly record wise, the best season that I've ever covered um, was the Dave Yeager 39 win team. And, that one was fun from start to finish. You, it was crazy. I remember um, writing about this at the time, but I think they were underdogs in like the first, like nineteen of the first twenty games. They were underdogs, and they weren't. They won a bunch of those games, and they uh, they defied the odds on almost every game. So, like, they were a good bet the entire time you could have made if you were betting kings every night in the first half of that season you would have made it absolute killing and and then they had their dog days and uh and you know they started to come around and um and and then you got to the end of the season and that's when you realize that dave yeager who kept telling everybody this is smoke and mirrors this is not at all like indicative of our talent level we are doing something that's that's like just different. We're we're running and we're shocking teams. But when, uh, at, while we're doing this, I'm trying to teach these guys how to play basketball, and they're learning, but they they need to learn faster. And we're going to get to a certain point where the season tightens up, and this thing goes a little crazy, and we're going to get thumped. And that's exactly what happened that year. I mean, like he he knew exactly what his team was, who who his team was that season. Yeah, and it was a lot of the half-court offense not being good enough, right, that when teams kind of locked in and made sure that they were slowing them down and um, doing, yeah, just taking them out of their comfort zone in transition where 
um, it was so easy for them with, you know, players like I think Willie Cauley-Stein and Buddy Heald are great examples of not high IQ players, but the game is simplified in transition and they have skill sets that work well in that style um, that once you hit the half court, it was just a little bit different and more difficult for that team. And, um, you know, to kind of tie it into last night, I thought that we saw some pretty good transition play from the Kings. Um, but when it got into half-court situations, especially when Demonis Bonus was not out there, the offense looked a little shaky. Yeah, I think you're you're going to get that. That's a little bit of the newness of a new team, uh, of so many changes. And uh, we got a lot to talk about today. Um, we're going to go through not just the, the loss to the Denver Nuggets on Thursday night, um, but sort of the upcoming schedule, what we're really seeing with this team, because I think that... It strangely enough, it, it hasn't taken very long for you to kind of see what this team is after the trade, uh, after the trade deadline and the the series of trades that happened. Uh, but let's just get started with the basics. If you're watching on YouTube, um, make sure right now to stop everything that you're doing and go down and subscribe. We're almost to a thousand uh, subscribers, which is a huge milestone in the YouTube world. Um, give us thumbs up. Uh, those are awesome. Jump in the comment section. We've had a lot of comments. Um, but, uh, that's good. Like we want to foster that conversation as long as people are being nice and I don't have to kick your ass out. Um, you know, we're, we're totally fine. Um, but, uh, you know, just make sure you're following through on those steps because that helps us, uh, build more of a following here on the King's Beat. Um, secondly, uh, go to the kingsbeat.com and, uh, become a premium subscriber. So you get all of the content and all of the invites to things like the happy hour, and stuff like that. And not only that, but you really are supporting what we're doing here on the Kings Beat. Uh, you know, it's independent, uh, credentialed media coverage of the Sacramento Kings and just something that you're not getting uh, anywhere else. Um, lastly, if you like the hoodies and stuff like this. How could you uh, not? Uh, yeah, Brendan's is uh, it's on the way. Uh, Brendan's sweatshirt is on the way. Um, it, there is a link down below to the king's beat merch shop um and you can find that also like where if you're reading the bio of the podcast you can find it as well wherever you're watching listening doing whatever you're doing um so we appreciate all of you guys out there uh and let's get to some of the uh the interesting things that we've seen over the last couple of days um first and foremost brennan um we're in a weird situation which again these are situations that i i i like with someone like yourself who's never been through an NBA season, all of a sudden you're being thrust into this totally different thing, um, which on occasion this happens with the Kings, with other teams as well. But um, the Alex Lynn situation is is tough. Um, and I, I'm not quite sure, like we got a lot, of, this shouldn't be a political thing at all, um, in my opinion. I mean, is it political? Yes. Is it uh is war political yes is there a reason why russia is invading the ukraine yes there is we're not getting into those things what we're getting into is a human element of the sacramento kings having a player who is born and raised in the ukraine who has his family in ukraine um and who is watching his country being invaded by uh, a foreign power and again i don't want to get into politics here but Brennan, what was it like for you to go through the last, I don't know, 24 hours? Because it's different, right? This is something that 
it's so much bigger than basketball, but you still have to, you're, you're, you're in it, you're in the middle of it. And it's a global crisis. It's not like something regional here in Sacramento, but all of a sudden you're having to look at the world in a different, in a different way and a different, you know, sort of cover the sport in a different way. Yeah. There's been a couple of moments in the, this is the third season now um, where uh, of me covering the team and talking about them often where something comes up that's not basketball related that you have to touch on. Um, and the first time it happened for me was the Walton allegations. And um, it's just, I didn't expect, I, I didn't think that that was going to be part of it. I have no issue with it. I just didn't think that through. Um, and I think that I've never done a great job of staying up on current events. Um, you know, my, my dad is on me about that. And uh, I, it's interesting I, because I've always used sports as an outlet and escape from kind of the real world. So it's always interesting to me when I, I get these serious topics that come up in my escape in a way. Um, but, you know, it's great to see all the camaraderie and guys supporting each other and it goes beyond you know the jersey that you're wearing right like we saw both teams locked at arms half court um with alex len one of the two ukrainian guys in the league the other one being svi mikhailuk um and apparently it was alex len's idea to go forward with this and it was just a great moment of you know just people supporting other people and understanding tough situations um, that are going on throughout the world and just trying to show that um, that they care and, and that, you know, while they are out there um, in a way providing entertainment, they're all players with real life family situations going on as well. And those are important to acknowledge just like everybody watching as well. Yeah, um, I think my first season, I got a taste of some of this, um, and it wasn't political. It wasn't anything like this. It was um, both Antoine Wright and uh, Mario Ellie getting DUIs during the season, um, where all of a sudden you got to shift gears. Um, I had to cover the, uh, like, I remember Thomas Robinson got in, into a car accident one night. It wasn't bad, but, I mean... It was bad on his very, very expensive car, which he pretty much totaled. Um, I, I mean, his engine was leaking out onto the ground, basically. Um, that wasn't a good thing. He hit a curb going too fast going into his apartment complex right down the street from Marco, and we all like ran over there really quick because we had heard that there was a player in an accident. Um, so that's one of those weird situations where you're covering something different. I also had to cover two full-blown relocation attempts early in my career, um, where, you know, like I'm at city council meetings on a Tuesday night on a Kings game on a Wednesday night, uh, on some rally on a Thursday night and back to a Kings game on a, a Friday night. Um, those things are, are bizarre. And then I think the, uh, the biggest one that we had in Sacramento before this, um, was, uh, the Darren Collison situation where him and his wife got into a physical altercation. Um, there, it, it's, it's uncomfortable because you're not, you know, we're not crime reporters and we're also not political correspondents, you know? So when we're watching players on the court, uh, and then we're getting players, you know, t to talk about it or coaches to talk about it in either pregame or in postgame, um, it, it is slightly awkward and it's not our like wheelhouse. And I, I know people would like us to ask deeper questions and, 
Um, but I've also had like a lot of weird responses in my in my feed about like, well, why didn't why aren't you guys saying anything about this conflict, or why aren't you saying anything about this conflict? Um, and even someone said something about Serbia in 1999, and like if you didn't watch the Sacramento Kings during 1999 and and that era, then you weren't paying attention because the Kings were. I mean, they had their arms firmly wrapped around Vlade Divac and during that time, and, and even Peja Stojakovic to a, a lesser extent. But Vlade was like, I mean, that was his country that was being just absolutely destroyed, and um, and he's up all night long and then playing basketball games with zero sleep, and like, so I mean, there are like there there are times where this stuff crosses over, and I just for me it's it's more um, like interesting to watch from afar. And, you know, you have, like, you know, empathy for people and, and you're watching it play out. Um, even, you know, talking to DeMontis Sabonis, DeMontis Sabonis is, um, you know, his country isn't very far away, you know, where his family is. And, um, you know, I think Jason Anderson asked him a question about, uh, you know, it, it's Lithuania, right? Um, yeah. Being in a, in a state of emergency uh, because of all of this. And, um and he said, yeah, I mean, this is scary times. Like, my, his whole family's there, you know. Um, and so I, I think it's a, it's just a weird time that we're going through. And I think this is going to be, because of Alex Lynn's connection, it's going to be a, a thing in Sacramento for a little while. Although the Kings are on the road, so we're probably going to see less of it in the next, like, week and a half, two weeks. Um, but when they do get back, I'm sure we'll still be part in, in part of this situation here with uh, – with what's going on in Russia and and the Ukraine, so um, I, we got to touch on it. Either way, I, I think it's interesting stuff. Uh, and I'm sorry if you're you know you feel one way or another about it. Uh, that's not what this is about. This is about showing empathy towards one of the Kings players and and just you know as a community, Sacramento usually puts our arms around guys like this and uh, will be supportive and and hope for the best. Yeah, and Alex Len is um, a representation of like a entire country that's dealing with a lot, and I think just important to acknowledge and um, wish the best for everybody involved in a surely complicated and crappy situation to um, be a part of. You know, like I mean, I'm pretty young, and I think this is the first sort of altercation that I'm actually old enough to really recognize what's going on um so it's just even outside of how it affects the kings like it's a new world experience for myself really even that's an interesting thought and I you know to be honest it's interesting Brennan because that's a lot of the players that that you're around that's you know like I think guys wanted something different from De'Aaron Fox. Like I like people made comments. Oh, nice. Well, way to get deep on that. Um, like he's a 24 year old guy. Like he's a young guy, and like he doesn't know what to say in these situations. He doesn't. He, you know. he said Alex Len wasn't at the first practice when they came back on Tuesday. It was right. Yeah. Um, and then the second day, Len was not there either. Um, and when De'Aaron talked to us post game yesterday he was saying that he didn't kind of piece together that, oh, maybe this has to do with the Ukraine situation until the morning of the second practice. Like, I, I think it's understandable for, like, a newly developing situation. Like, 
just because these guys have a platform doesn't mean they have to have a take on everything, right? If he's yeah. not brought up to a situation, it's it's like, you know, for a example, like the Jalen Jacoby terrible Tyrese thing. If you're not educated on a situation, it's better to say that you're not and not go out and say stupid things rather than make things up and take a stance just for the sake of taking one. I completely agree. And I, I want to point out too, you mentioned something where Alex Len and, and uh, Sfi, uh, Michaela, are, are the only two NBA players from the Ukraine right now. But when you look around the league, there are players that represent entire countries. And, you know, we had uh, Omri Caspi here in in Sacramento, who was the first Israeli-born player to make it to the NBA. Um, Simbular, who made it to the NBA, but that was maybe in a different way. Uh, he was a you know, um, of Indian descent, uh, but a Canadian, um, you know, we've got the Nemeas Keda situation where he literally is the first player ever from Portugal to step on an NBA floor. And I, I think that that speaks volumes to the NBA being a global game, um, and being something that is watched around the world. I know that my photo from last night went absolutely bonkers on social media um, with the Kings standing arm in arm with Alex Lynn out in front of him with the Kings and Nuggets. Uh, but I just think it's a it's a situation that, you know, we're going to have to monitor, we're going to have to keep an eye on. Uh, because, again, like when you cover a team, the players are part of your bubble and, and Alex Lynn is, is part of the Sacramento family that we're covering here. And, uh, and so we might touch on this again. We might not. It just really depends on how things go from here on out. Um, but well wishes to Alex and his family and to all the people in Ukraine who are going through it right now. And, um, you know, hopefully this thing works out for the best and, um, yeah, we can move forward. Yeah, definitely something that uh, needs to be acknowledged and hopefully gets resolved as, as soon as possible. But um, just like the way I said that I always used – sports and, and music was the other big one for me as an outlet and escape from reality. Um, kind of the thing I came to accept over the last year is that like, well, now I get to provide that outlet. So while I think some people may take it as like insensitive that you just keep up your coverage, um, that's the way that I view it is I'm supplying an outlet. To yeah. And that's what you have to do yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's what you have to do. Uh, all right. So let's get to a couple of things. Um, the Kings lost to the Denver Nuggets. Um, I don't even know the final. It was a 128-110, I, I believe, yep. right? Um, we get to see Domantas Sabonis, the superstar, um, flat out. That's what he was. He was a superstar against the league's MVP. Um, he was the best player on the court. He was absolutely spectacular. Um, but before we dive fully into that, I want to acknowledge something that is uncomfortable for some people in Sacramento, and that is that Michael Malone won his 300th game as a member of the Denver Nuggets. Um, super happy for Michael Malone. Um, getting to know Michael Malone during the the very brief Malone era, he is one of the coolest dudes you're ever going to run into. He's funny. He's witty. He always had something, uh, some soundbite that was like waiting to go viral. Um, when he compared uh, DeMarcus Cousins to and, and Isaiah Thomas to Danny DeVito and Arnold Schwarzenegger and called them twins, um, you know, those are moments with Michael Malone that you don't forget. Like, he 
is a breath of fresh air. And the fact that he lost his job the way he did in Sacramento was shameful and ridiculous. And I've, I did an hour and a half podcast on this years ago and just the, the horrific stretch that the Kings went through in the early stages of Avec Ronadive's ownership, um, mistakes were made. And Michael Malone's a good man, super happy for him. I hope he continues to coach the Denver Nuggets for a long time. I think he's a spectacular coach. Um, and I honestly believe the Sacramento Kings would have snapped their playoff drought um, many, many, many years ago if they could have just got out of their own way uh, and kept Michael Malone and, you know, had him build something. So uh, big hat tip to Michael Malone. And I know, Brennan, you weren't there to cover any of the Malone era. Um, but, you know, this is a, a, a guy who coaches defense but doesn't have defensive players most of the time. Um, and then his uh, his teams are good. His te- they're, they're creative. They, they're different. Um, I enjoy watching the Denver Nuggets play. Yeah, I mean, uh, how can you not, right? And I think it's a style that Sacramento should look to model themselves after. Um, they need a Mike Malone. Um, if you don't want to dive into it, uh, no problem. I know we have plenty of things to talk about, but I don't have a great understanding of the process of Malone being moved on from and exactly what happened there. I don't know if you can give me the spark notes. Yeah, I mean, basically um, a young owner chose to hire a coach first. That was the first thing that Vivek Ranadive did as an owner with Sacramento Kings. Um, he went out and he brought in, because Vivek came from the Golden State Warriors, who's a minority owner there. Um, the first thing he did was he hired Michael Malone, who was uh, Mark Jackson's lead assistant in Golden State. And he's a guy that most people in Golden State at that time said did the coaching. He was the coach of that team. And uh, I know a lot of people love Mark Jackson. Um, not a people with a lot of people within the walls of uh, of Oracle um, enjoyed him uh, as the coach there, and they really did believe that it was Michael Malone who really set them up for what would become the Steve Kerr era that uh, that they rattle off championships after championships and all that. Um, so we brought in Michael Malone. Um, but there's always this issue and the Kings repeat it and they repeat it. It's like they, they literally are stuck like reading the back of a shampoo bottle where it says rinse and repeat, um, where they, uh, just keep hiring coaches before they hire GMs. So they hired Michael Malone and then not that long afterwards, they hired Pete D'Alessandro. Uh, this is leading up to the 2013 NBA draft. Um, Pete D'Alessandro and crew were working together with Jeff Petrie and his crew, they were going to do a peaceful handoff. And two weeks before the draft, um, they uh, the Kings decided to terminate Wayne Cooper and Jeff Petrie and their entire staff, like on a whim, out of nowhere, um, and go into the draft on their own and draft Ben McLemore instead of C.J. McCollum or uh, Stephen Adams or the guy that Jeff Petrie had a dossier on, which was Giannis Antetokounmpo. Um so we got into that first season and uh, the Kings had added Chris Mullen as well. And um, it became kind of like this, this interesting new, you know, we heard uh, NBA 2.0 mentioned like a million times um, by Vivek Ranadive. He wanted to do things different. Um, and when you really got to it, Michael Malone was a defensive minded coach. His dad is Brendan Malone, who is the, the architect 
of some of the great Detroit Pistons defensive teams. Um, he's uh, Michael Malone is an NBA lifer. He's been around the game since he was a kid uh, because of his dad's coaching. And uh, when you really got to it, Michael can be abrasive. Um, he definitely has a mindset that is his own. He did not like the term pace being pushed on him all the time. He wanted defense first uh, and then to worry about the offense later. He had a solid team, uh, but not a spectacular team. And uh, he and Pete D'Alessandro did not get along at all. And, uh, you know, it started late in his first season when um, Isaiah Thomas got hurt and the Kings were down to Ray McCallum as their only point guard on the roster, who was a rookie second-round pick. And uh, and Malone begged for the Kings to sign a point guard, so they had an opportunity to finish out the season. And they uh, Pete D'Alessandro responded by signing Royce White, uh, which I'm not sure if anyone knows Royce White, but he's currently making a congressional bid in Minnesota against... Um, I, I can't remember her name, but uh, Royce White is someone who um, is an advocate for mental health issues um, and who has struggled with mental health issues. Uh, and the Kings wanted to give him a look, even though I don't think he ever scored a basket in the NBA and he was a top 10 pick, I'm pretty sure, um, and was out of the league very quickly. Um, so the the relationship was tattered going into that summer. I'm trying to make this as brief as possible so we can get to all the other stuff. Uh but I'll tell you this, Summer League rolled around. We got to Summer League. Michael Malone was there. Like, hey, what's up, Michael? Hey, how are you? What's going on? Like, oh, not a whole lot. We ran into Pete D'Alessandro earlier in the day. He goes, oh, I didn't know Pete was here. You talked to Pete. Oh, I didn't know Michael was here. Like, they literally had no relationship at all by the time it was said and done. And I know, like, the last six weeks Michael was on the job. Um, Pete and him did not talk at all. Uh Michael Malone would walk past Pete D'Alessandro's office to go down to his own office. So Pete knew he was there and then Pete would call him and from one office to the next and Michael wouldn't pick up because he was like, I'm, you know, I'm here. You watch me walk by your door, just walk down the hallway. Uh, their relationship got more and more tattered. The Kings got off to a really good start and they can't, and they could not fire Michael Malone initially. Um, even though they had tried some nefarious stuff during the, the buildup to the season um, they brought in Kurt Rambis and tried to make him uh, Michael Malone's lead assistant Michael Malone heard about the interview flew to Sacramento from uh, Summer League where he was in Las Vegas uh, and had conversation and said like look you understand that I'm going to sit in on this meeting because it's written in my contract that I get to hire my own coaches and you're not going to hire my lead assistant without me being here um, they got done with that interview and it was a, a big no for Michael Malone um, that's when Ty Corbin stepped in and Michael had Ty Corbin hired as his lead assistant. Uh, and we got to Summer League, and, and things just spun out quickly. Uh, DeMarcus Cousins got, um, oh boy, uh, viral meningitis and sat out 10 games. And when he went out, the Kings were very good and were winning. Uh, when he came back, they had lost a bunch of games in a row. And they waited until... Um, they held uh, Cousins out of a couple extra games to make sure he was okay. And in those games, they lost, and uh, the Kings fired Michael Malone before he could uh, get uh, Cousins back on the court. Um, 11, so, 11 and 13. 
when they let him go that year. 11 and 13, and then uh, Tyrone Corbin steps in and goes, what, 7 and 21? Right? Uh, if, yeah, if I don't have, have it, it up, right in front of it's, me. I think it's 7 and 21, and then George Carl finishes that season. That's where the term basketball, welcome to basketball hell comes from, which Rudy is Gay, from right? Rudy Gay during that season. Uh, that was the darkest of darkest of darkest times. It was an ugly season where a good man lost his job because of greed and power-hungry people behind the scenes um, doing things nefarious and, and really, I think, leading a young owner uh, in, in the wrong direction. And yeah. Yeah, again, I've, I've done an entire, I've written so many words on it, I, I've done an entire podcast on it. Uh, I'll just say that Michael Malone is a very good man and the Kings would not, have, would not be looking at a 16th year without playoffs if they had not fired Michael Malone, he would have got a team to the playoffs because he's an excellent coach and the Kings made a tremendous mistake. And then of course the aftermath is um, Vivek doing interviews with people like myself who I was writing for ESPN at the time. Um, and uh, literally saying that he wanted a jazz band leader, not a Sousa band marching, le- uh, marching band leader, um, which again, like, I think what Malone went on in his first or second season in Denver to have the highest scoring offense in the league. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't mean to uh, derail our whole conversation, but I I would assume the listeners don't mind uh, a little trip down memory lane. Um, Yeah, I guess just my thoughts real quick is that, like, you know, I think it's interesting for an owner that has been infamously maybe over involved that his first move he can probably point towards and be like if we would have gone with what I said um I I think that that's kind of interesting with how Vivek has seemingly um been like I said over involved uh since he's joined and um also you don't want to repeat history right and repeat the same mistakes and like I think we saw that Walton wasn't um, McNair's decision that the previous GM um, Vlade was the one that hired that coach and then McNair just kind of has to take him on and maybe he doesn't fit the exact style um, and then it seemed like McNair kind of committed to Walton um, but we don't exactly know so I, I think it's interesting that uh, in very Sacramento Kings fashion similar mistakes yeah, yeah. I, I think it's even darker than that. It's that um, they, you know, that even that season, it stems from that season where um, Vivek, like just the just way the season spun out, um, they brought in Vlade to sort of like help rein in what was happening. The whole entire thing was spinning completely out of control. And this is in his second year of ownership. Um, so they brought in Vlade like, like after the All-Star break. And Pete D'Alessandro knew he was on his way out, so he tried to save himself by hiring George Carl. And now Vlade inherited George Carl, and then that's not who Vlade wanted. And so George Carl only lasted a year into his, and even the next year was so bad. That's when the DeMarcus Cousins snake in the grass comments come aimed at George Carl. George Carl literally tried to trade DeMarcus Cousins, even though he was the head coach and not the general manager, tried to trade DeMarcus Cousins during the offseason. Uh, we go into the next season and it was just horrible. Like the entire year was nothing but an epic battle. Uh, George Carl versus DeMarcus Cousins and the roster. Um, 
it wasn't fun. It was uh, Rondo's loan season in Sacramento. The entire thing spun out. They, uh, of course, had let um, Isaiah Thomas walk away for nothing. Uh, they got Alex Oriaki and a who's never played in the NBA and like a caps a cap hold. I mean a, a trade trade exception. That's all they got for. And then they wasted the trade exception. Um, yeah, and, and then again, you know, Vlade went through like eight different candidates to hire, and then um, Dave Yeager became available, and they swooped in and scooped up Dave Yeager, uh, which was not Vlade's first choice. That was not Vlade's full decision. Um, and that's why when he got an opportunity to hire his guy, which was Luke Walton, he didn't wait around. And so, like, one decision after another led to the next, like, one decision led to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. None of them were made with uh, with the best intentions by specific people, and so that's how you end up having dysfunction and and chaos and fifteen years of, of basically ineptitude. And that's where Doug Christie's kind of scary, right? As a guy that doesn't have great experience um, and allegedly being ownership's idea for potentially filling that head coaching spot. Um, but anyways, to kind of bring us back, <laughs> anyways. To- <laughs> Boogie didn't end up playing last night. Um, I think yeah. that they're still figuring out if um, the plan, it seems like, is to sign him to the rest of the year. There's some weirdness. There's some weirdness there. I don't know what's happening. Um, I do know that, like, Michael Malone was noncommittal, was said that they would love to have Boogie back, and that they're 8-0 and with him on the roster, and that, like, that, but he would not commit to whether— all he could tell us was that Boogie was not in Sacramento. And yep. yeah, it, it was kind of an interesting situation. So yeah, we just went down memory lane, and and I think you know memory lane brings us to the present day because of, of a very specific thing that you're looking at two teams clash that like have the same that like similar potential. They you know I'm not going to say Sabonis is going to be an MVP, um, but what I will tell you is that there is only one other big man in the league that can pass like Sabonis. There are other big men that can pass that are decent passers, but to be the major hub that you run everything through, it's Jokic and it's Sabonis. And that's why I think, like, if I'm the Kings, I'm looking at that Nugget staff and looking at a guy like David Adelman and thinking, hmm, does he make sense? Because, you know, you got the defensive acumen, you've got the Michael Malone coaching tree, you've got the fact that he has worked a system with two, with a, a gigantic man that you run everything through. And so I think that that, to me, is intriguing. Um, but it kind of brings us to the bigger point that, um, like I, I touched on with Brendan before we, we hopped on this. You got, I think we made it through the first 60 games of the season or 50-whatever games of the season. And you could look at the King, Kings roster and say that, if anything, De'Aaron Fox was playing down to his, not just, the, the team didn't just play down to their level of competition, but I think De'Aaron Fox played down to the level of the, the players around him, um, which I, I think is sort of typical. A, a lot of players do that. They like, they try to fit in, um, and I, that didn't work. Um, but when you really looked at the Kings roster with Fox, Halliburton, Harrison Barnes, um, Buddy Heald, Rashawn Holmes, uh, we can throw Davion in there, uh, you know, that, the group of players. I think that collectively we all thought that they should have been better than they were, uh, that they just didn't play well. They didn't play well together. Something was wrong. But I also think 
that they're in the grand scheme of the NBA, they were all kind of around the same skill level. Like you understand what I'm saying, Brendan? Like, you yeah. know, is Buddy Hill better shooting the three than you know than De'Aaron Fox? Yes, but you know, each of them had their skill set. But in the NBA landscape, we keep saying the Kings need another Harrison Barnes. They kind of have a team that was built around players around that skill level. You know, eighteen to twenty million dollar players, uh, maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, but guys that. Um, that aren't going to be a game changer. They're not the number one, maybe not even a number two option on a strong playoff team, but they're still good NBA players and they should have played better than they, they, they did. And if I work from that, like sort of understanding, which is my understanding, it's not Brendan's and might not be yours. Uh, and my, my opinion of it is that it's that when you take a bunch of those players and you switch them out and you put Demonis Sabonis all of a sudden we have this gigantic gap in talent. You go from Sabonis and then Fox and then Harrison Barnes, and then the drop-off is so incredibly steep, in my opinion, that it really does show you how the team can improve quickly um, and what they need and how how they need more talent but specific talent and how some guys need to step up or they they shouldn't fit into what's happening here. Am I off base here, uh, Brennan, with my assumption of that? I think that, um, like, Fox is a guy that I would put in the Sabonis tier, but the play that he had been contributing earlier this year, he he wasn't showing enough for me to actually be comfortable in saying he was, you know, clearly better than Tyrese Halliburton or Harrison Barnes. Um, but I, I still think it was like those three guys and you still have a top three now. Um, but, and, and again, while I think Fox and Sabonis rub shoulders with each other, I, I think that the difference is um, like Sabonis, like you're saying, is a guy that you run absolutely everything through. And De'Aaron, it feels like should be that guy, but it just isn't the same when he's not operating from the middle of the floor and able to move it left and right. And he's not as great as I think getting other people involved, even though De'Aaron is a good passer in his own right. Um, So I I think that just now that since you have such a focal point and change in style with your number one option to where Fox and Tyrese were playing the same sort of basketball while they were out there, um, that it makes it so difficult when Domas isn't on the floor. Like we saw it, last night against Denver, um, you know, in this 18 point loss, Sabonis is a minus eight and Damian Jones plays 11 minutes. He's a minus 10. Like when D Jones got, went out there, he got killed. Um, and you know, I've said earlier in these, since Sabonis has come around, like there's moments where Rashawn Holmes feels like he's trying to do DeMontis Sabonis things. Um, when that's probably a little bit outside of his wheelhouse in certain aspects. So, um, I think that Fox should be in the same tier as Sabonis, but at the same time, it's pretty hard to make that argument this year. I agree that Fox should be in the same tier. I I, I totally agree. I think Fox that we saw last year is in the same tier. Like, if you would have asked me at the beginning, before the season started, would you trade Fox for for Sabonis? I would have said no. Like, I would have. I I would have said no. Uh, I I think Sabonis is is an excellent player, and he's a two-time All-Star at that point. But you're two years younger with Fox. He's 
Um, you know, the NBA is a guard heavy league and, you know, you're playing through things. So I get what you're, what you're saying. Like, I, I fully agree that Fox, I, and I think that Fox will get to that tier. I think he can get up to that tier. And I think, um, you know, I've said it repeatedly, but I think this is, uh, Sabonis is the guy that unlocks him and we're only seeing like the tip of the iceberg with these guys. We need to see chemistry build and stuff like that, but it's, it's really the other guys. I mean, again, I'm not going to take any. I think Harrison Barnes has potential to to fit into that mold as well. I think Harrison Barnes is an excellent NBA player, and you know he's not an All Star, uh, but he's a really, really solid NBA player. But what I need is for the Kings to find like, like I think it initially it was like, okay, do they need one guy? Do they need two guys? All of a sudden, I'm looking at this roster and going, man, do they need five? Do they need four? Do they need three? Like some of these guys just are are not stepping up in a way, and and again, I I think Davion. I'm gonna take Davion Mitchell and kind of put him aside. He's a rookie. He's in the the last quarter of his rookie season. The rookie wall is coming gone, but you know, um, he's actually played really well, and I think he can fit in. We, he just hasn't defined who he is as a player. But I'm watching guys like Justin Holiday, and I'm watching guys like Dante Divincenzo, and. And each of them, like, first of all, I think Indiana, you can see the the drop-off between, you know, Sabonis, a Sabonis player, and a guy like Justin Holiday. And it's not to just totally trash Justin Holiday. He's, you know, he's an NBA journeyman. Um, but get to a guy like DiVincenzo, and DiVincenzo looks a whole lot different on a team with uh, three stars, one superstar, uh, one multi-time All-Star, one exceptional player who, for some reason, never makes an All-Star team, and Drew Holiday. Uh, but then, you know, there's when he's got to be more of a player, he hasn't been able to do it. And it's, it's like only a couple of games, but at the same time, man, you got to be able to shoot. You got to be able to hit a shot. You got to be able to like make a, a difference on a team, not overplay every single defensive sequence. Um, you know, I, I think again, there are guys trying to find their pecking order and trying to figure out how they fit in. But I also think that you're seeing pretty quickly that, the Kings need more talent. Yeah, I think to your point, um, I don't don't think there should be moments of a lineup that doesn't have Fox, Sabonis, or Harrison Barnes, which we saw last night, um, and and that was tough. But I think, like, to your point, after those three guys, which I think all have the potential to be um, in, like, the top tier, then the lineup we're talking about is Davion Mitchell, Dante DiVincenzo, Justin Holiday. Say it's Trey Lyles or Chemezi or Mo Harkless or Chemezi, and then Damian Jones or Alex Len. And it's like all of those guys are like an eighth guy on a team, right? I think it's kind of like to your point here. No, I think that's exactly my point. Like, uh, you can't, you can't have a, you know, a, a, a lineup, a rotation with a bunch of eight through 12 guys that, if you're going to be competitive. And so like, man, Monty McNair has a ton of work to do. And, you know, like I'll even say this, like when Jeremy Lamb sticks out as, wow, look how good Jeremy Lamb is. That's when you're like, oh, that it doesn't speak so much about Jeremy Lamb as it does about Dante DiVincenzo and about Justin Holiday. And, you know, I like, I need to see more DiVincenzo. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm done seeing some of these guys. Like, I, I know, like, uh, Trey Lyles got an opportunity to play in the game last night, and he played, like, five minutes in the first half. 
okay. I, I'm good. Yeah. I'm ready to move forward. Like, we don't need to keep figuring out if that's going to work or not. Um, I, I don't see a way that that works. I mean, if you want to be a good team, then you need you need more talent. And I, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah, and I think the answer is rather than trying to make some of these guys that are maybe ideally the eighth guy in a rotation, trying to hope that they become the caliber of a fifth guy or sixth guy, you just need to go and get somebody that is already the four or five so that way everybody else's responsibility goes down. Because I think that some of these guys we mentioned are quality role players, are good guys to be your seventh guy. Like I think that Dante could work his way to being the fifth starter on a on a good team like we saw in Milwaukee. And those are different circumstances with the four others surrounding him. Um, but really you need to go and find somebody that is the third, fourth option on a team already and everybody else gets to bump down the pecking order a little bit um, and, and have less responsibility because yeah, sometimes I, I think that they're playing outside of themselves. But then there's also moments where I look around at the lineups they're on, and I'm like, man, who else is going to do it? Yeah. I, I just know that like when I'm watching and this team can't hit a three-point shot, and, and, and you can say what you want. Like you can look around, well, Buddy Hill's gone. But Dante DiVincenzo shot like 38% from three last year. Uh, Justin Holiday shot 38% from three. What, what you can't have is the two guys playing shooting guard uh, combined to score 13 points on like three of nine from three. You have to have a more attempts. You have to b hit more attempts. Like, and we, we keep getting to this point where like you want to give Harrison Barnes, like, Hey man, this is like an opportunity for him to fit in perfectly. In what world does Harrison Barnes take seven shots? In what world does he take? Does he go one of two from three? If if he doesn't decide to step up and be a guy who will take six to eight three-pointers a game, then he's not part of what you need to, going forward. You have to have that. You, this team has to have a small forward or a power forward that shoots that many threes per game in order to create the spacing for Fox and Sabonis to work. I don't understand it. I don't understand how they didn't get him involved and how some of these guys who are taking threes aren't taking enough, they aren't hitting enough. Um, you know, again, the one guy I'll kind of circle is Davion, who just kind of knows his role and does his thing and, and is sitting there ready to fire every time. Nothing is off balance. Nothing is crazy. He's ready. And then I got I'm watching a bunch of crazy off balance, you know, like unsustainable basketball from some of these guys. And I think that's what it comes down to. Like that is unsustainable. What you're doing there, that, that is a low percentage shot, like most of the time. Yeah, um, you know, I rewatched a little bit of that Chicago game, and only about through halftime, I was like, "Man, there are so many shots where it's eighteen seconds, sixteen seconds left on the shot clock, and you're taking a semi-contested shot. Like it's an okay look, but it's bad for the sake of you still have plenty of time to try and get a good look." And I kind of started keeping a log a little bit as we went through yesterday's game of, you know, how many shots and my hard line was 16 in the shot clock. No, no more um, time or less time left than that. And the fourth quarter probably didn't even really count because the Kings just fell apart. But I had eight different shots of, wow, that was a horrible shot really early in the shot clock. And I don't think a single one of them came from Davion Mitchell. I think one of them came from DeMontis Sabonis. 
Um, and one of them I wanted to put down, but he made the three, so I couldn't really complain. Um, so yeah, I, I think that it's um, interesting. Guys are playing outside of themselves a little bit too much, and um, yeah, I, I do can't help but wonder how much lineups are a factor here because I, I thought it was very poorly managed yesterday. Like talk about Harrison Barnes and needing to take more shots. Like in that beginning of the fourth quarter, if I know Gentry has said a couple times he wants to have one or Fox or Halliburton Fox or we heard that too, but one of Fox or Sabonis on the floor at all times. Um, we haven't exactly seen it happen, but at very least when Fox and Sabonis are on the bench, have Harrison out there and that can be his, two minutes where he decides he's going to get to the free throw line three different times. Um, so I, I think there was definitely a frustration for myself yesterday, especially end of the third, beginning of the fourth of why are these big three players not in the game? Yeah. I, I And I want to harp on Alvin Gentry a bunch about this, but at the same time, like he just got six new players dropped in his lap and, and he also lost like a bunch of players. <laughs> Like, he, he lost, uh, you know, Buddy Heald, who was playing major minutes. He lost Tyrese Halliburton, who was playing, like, a ton of minutes. Marvin Bagley was actually playing minutes when he was healthy. And so you're trying to reconfigure your, your rotation and your lineup on the fly uh, with a bunch of new players. And it's not like we took Tyrese Halliburton and swapped him out for another player like Tyrese Halliburton. You swap Tyrese Halliburton out for a center— who does everything, and, and you can. I'll even point to this too. It's not just that you lost Halliburton and Heald and and Bagley, which you know it does a tremendous amount of damage, but you also took all the minutes away from Rashawn Holmes. And while Holmes has been in and out of the lineup, like that was four of your like top six players, like the last two years. That's like four of your top six in the rotation. And I was like, okay, go ahead and and figure this thing out on the fly. We're going to completely reconfigure the style of offense that you have around a gigantic big man who does nothing but this incredible passing and is a bull in the paint and all of a sudden started hitting three-pointers. Like, that's what you're like, okay, like how how difficult, how hard can we be on Alvin Gentry when this is the circumstance that he's, like, developed, like, out on the fly in the middle of the season. And, oh, you know, people say, well, you just had two practices. Yeah two practices during the all-star break, two practices within 12 hours of each other. They weren't even like spaced out. We had practice one night and we were there the next morning for another practice. Like, and at the same time, you're dealing with one of your players going through uh, a catastrophic invasion of his homeland. Um, you know, so I, I'm going to give Alvin a little bit of a leash here, but at the same time, I need players to be better. And maybe that's, I'm not giving, I'm going to give Alvin a leash, but I'm not going to give some of these players the same consideration. But Brandon, it, it really, to me, it comes down to like hit your open shots. Like you don't have to hit yeah. them all, but hit some of them. Yeah, and I, I think that Justin Holiday, Dante DiVincenzo, uh, Davion Mitchell, while I, I thought he played really well, he actually played 18 and a half minutes straight to close the game, which is insane. I had to like quadruple check this. Um, ridiculous that he played that long. He looked absolutely gassed at the end of that game, and he played really, really well despite, I think if you just glossed over his seven points on three of 10, 0 of four from three, you wouldn't, it, his stat line doesn't, isn't telling for how impactful he was in that game. They really needed his perimeter containment, um, but he wasn't hitting shots. Like I said, Holiday, DiVincenzo. Um, the one thing that stood out to me in post game was that 
Darren got asked about, um, you know, playing alongside DeMontis and what that's kind of been like. And the wording that caught my attention was Darren saying, we don't want to waste a performance like this. And it's just, especially coming from De'Aaron, right? A guy that's had so many wasted appearances and great games that he did kind of do that. You know, I mean, Fox probably had six points in the final three minutes that make his stat line look better than I thought his performance was. He was pretty quiet in, in this game where DeMontis was outstanding. Yeah, I thought, uh, first of all, the, the Nuggets do have some long defensive guys that they put on him, and they got under his skin. Like, you could tell early on they got under his skin. He even tried to finish a quarter or a half by, like, attacking. You could say, oh, oh, he's not giving that ball up. He's pissed. And then I think even that, he got he either missed a layup or he got uh, his he got it swatted. Um, so overall, like I like you're right. He he didn't have the game that you thought he would have, but I think we're we're gonna have growing pains with some of the key players that are trying to figure out how to work around each other. Um, again, you're you're really asking De'Aaron Fox to to like give up the ball a huge percentage of the time. And I thought it was even interesting. Alvin Gentry was asked about that. And he said, like, look, well, you know, a lot of the time the ball's going to run through Domas. That's that's just the way it's going to go from here on out. And so I think there are going to be nights where, like, Fox has his assist numbers, you know, that are low. And, I, you know, both him and uh, and Sabonis both turned the ball over four times. That wasn't good. And, and a lot of live ball, live ball turn, turnovers. Um, you know, they had they didn't have, like, an obscene amount of turnovers, but— they led to 18 points on the other end. Um, you know, those are—it's something that this has plagued this team forever. But I, I think a bunch of guys did it in that game. Uh, DiVincenzo had, I think, three turnovers in limited minutes, 22 minutes. Um, anyway, I, I do think that there's a lot of chemistry issues going on. I, I do think that there's a lot to learn from what we're seeing. Um, but I also like that. Um, I feel like, like this, the Kings' world has been so unbalanced where the really, while I don't think he had to take all of this on himself, I, I think the, the weight of the King's world was so heavily heavy on De'Aaron Fox that he was you know trying to push this gigantic rock up a hill and he thought he was doing it on his own. I think all of a sudden, like they just put in a, a, like a pillar next to him and said, okay, Sabonis is here now. It's not just all you. And I think we're starting to see that where the the anguish of being like the face of everything and the reason why they're losing. And like you get off to a rough start. So your team loses nonstop. And like, I, I just think the weight of the world was on De'Aaron and I'm starting to feel like he's getting, he now has a partner that will share the weight of the world and who's actually so incredibly strong. He might be able to carry more of the weight than Fox is. And I think that's a good thing. Definitely. Um, it'll take some getting used to for both of these guys. I think we've ha seen games where each of them um, maybe stands out, but the other one looks a little uncomfortable while letting the other one have their moment. Um, and we'll see them continue to synergize and grow their chemistry as this year goes along and, and have more games where they um, both perform exceptionally in um in the same night and you know when it comes down to it like while the fourth quarter made it for a pretty disappointing ending they played really well I'll, I'll say offensively at least in these first three quarters um they were battling against 
what is the reigning MVP in, in a team that is sitting in the sixth seed in the Denver Nuggets. And there was a really good energy in Golden One Center um, when Demonis Sabonis, uh, I think, took it down the court himself after a board and had this spin move into a pass to DiVincenzo, who hit an open three. Golden One Center erupted. And there's just more moments where f- you see it. Like, if they can put it together and maintain what we just saw for three minutes, there's something here. And I think that these first three quarters, like, we saw a lot of that on offense in, against Denver. Yeah, I mean, and, and look, Denver has won four in a row. And they've actually played really well. Uh, you know, they're a team that is on the rise, I think. I think they're a team that will probably end up being the the four or the five seed in the Western Conference when it's all said and done. Um, I, I think that they are one of the uh, – I, I think they're one of the better constructed teams. And, you know, Michael Malone's had to do this without uh, – without, um, Michael Porter Jr. or um... – Yeah, yeah. God, why are we drawing <sighs> blank? Uh, Jamal Murray. He's been, yeah, Jamal Murray. I mean, he's been gone for so long. Um, like the fact that they're in the position they are in and they haven't been able to add, uh, you know, like players that step in. But when I look at Austin Rivers, which as a player, this would be like, he's one of my least favorite players in the league. Um, actually, I will very quickly, I'll tell the Austin Rivers story. Kings were playing the Clippers, um, Austin Rivers. Yeah, I think it was preseason. Um, at, and this was at Arco. And at Arco, uh, the visitor's bench was here. And then behind the visitor's bench was a tall table that was big enough for like five media members to sit at. So there was a time where I sat on the court for like three years. There was also a time where I sat in the corner right behind the visitor's bench, um, caddy corner. Uh, when players stood up, you lost your view of the court, but either way, it was, it was a good spot. Uh, Austin Rivers came over, was upset about something, and the Clippers had um, a lot of teams do this because it, it's kind of silly that they don't make chairs specifically for NBA players. I, I'm sure that they do somewhere, but like most fold-up chairs are your standard for like a five foot ten to six foot person or smaller people. Either way, they they have these cushions that are about I don't know six eight inch is eight inches thick that they put on their chairs. Austin Rivers was angry, came over, grabbed his seat cushion, and took it like he was throwing sidearm with a disc golf, and flung it as hard as he could. And me and Sam Amick were sitting in the corner, like right there, and this gigantic wedge of foam is flying at us. We duck. Flies over the top of our head. The guy sitting in the first row, which is elevated right behind us, he's a big guy. He leans over and ducks. And the lady sitting behind him takes a foam cushion right across the eyeballs. Smacks her right in the face. This is a He hit a fan with a gigantic seat cushion in the face. It knocked her, her contact lenses out. I actually found them on the ground after the game, curled up like underneath her seat. It scratched her cornea. She was an attorney. I'm sure he he got uh, some sort of bill in the mail afterwards. Um, but it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, man, I can't believe that just happened. I mean, I've been like, uh, 
why am I drawing a blank on his name? I, I was in, I was at a game where a guy threw his mouthpiece into the stands, which was awkward. He got a technical. He might even got tossed. Um, and then a fan like picked it up, like I got it, like, and that's someone's yeah, mouthpiece. Like, what are you doing? Like, um, but the problem I have with Austin Rivers wasn't that he lost his cool in, in the heat of the moment and slung the cushion. It's that he was forced to apologize like two days later when the league hit him with like either twenty five or fifty thousand dollar fine. And then he rescinded his apology afterwards. <laughs> and to me, it was the most entitled a-hole move I've ever seen by an NBA player. You did it. There's video of you doing it. I was an eyewitness to the entire thing. It was a D-bag move, and you injured a fan, and you should pay her medical bills. And you should have been fined. You should have been fined 50K. You should have lost a couple of game checks. Uh, like, that's what you should have done. And that's not what happened. Uh, like, he he literally took back his apology and said he did nothing wrong and was like, come on, man. Like, if, yeah. Is that your guy? It was a joke on King's Pulse with Rich that one offseason when they signed Corey Joseph um, that we did kind of uh, position different pods for guys that could be available. And for the guard that I know they needed as a backup guard, I – said that I liked Austin Rivers as one of like the five options we laid out like a top five right I put him like fifth or something and Rich was so against me and then I kind of talked him into it and it he just decided for the rest of like 100 episodes that I was a huge Austin Rivers guy and it caught on uh, but I'm seeing a reason to distance myself here there you go okay and th- but here was my point my point is Austin Rivers hit his damn shots like he that team, DiVincenzo a couple times. That team has some solid veterans that know their roles and do their roles and succeed in their roles. One of those players, whether I like him or not as a human being, is Austin Rivers. Like, look at that. I, I think you're I, what he did to the spin move he put on DiVincenzo and what he looked at uh, both DiVincenzo and Justin and Justin Holiday was like, oh, dinner time. I mean, that's in a Will Barton season high, 31 points for Will Barton. Like, come on. It's like the you don't have a problem with Jokic 25, 12 and nine. Right. The same way you didn't have a problem with DeRozan dropping 30 plus. The issue is that you got 31 from Will Barton. You got 30 from Kobe White. Like those are the ones that you need to clean up. And then Davion went out there and shut down Bones Highland and just like just ruthless, ruthless what he did to Bones. And, it, I mean, it, even the Damian Jones play on Bones, where Bones thought he was going to, like, like dribble past him and just kept making moves and moves and moves, and then finally he ate the space and swatted him. That was just embarrassing. I, uh, but then I think Denver hit a three with, like, they got the ball. They inbounds the ball two seconds on the clock and got hit a three or something. Um, so it didn't end up working out anyways. Um, so uh, we've been sidetracked yet again. This happens. This always happens on the pod. Um I want to touch on one thing. I did bring up Sam. Sam was in my uh, – Sam and I have been friends for a long time, Mr. Amick. Uh, he's been on the pod here. Uh, he's been on all of my pods, like, probably more than anyone else. Him and Jerry Reynolds have been on the pod the most um, and that weren't, uh, like, that weren't co-hosts or something like that. Um, but uh, you had Sam on your pod um, yesterday, on Thursday, on the King's Pulse. Uh what were your takeaways from the the conversation with Sam? 
Well, Sam's a great guy. Um, even just meeting him at the games, and he's, he's a been, cool dude. Yeah, he's very down to earth and easy to talk to, and, and been nice enough to let me pick his brain a couple times. Um, and yeah, as for kind of me trying to pull things out of him for uh, the KP recording we did yesterday, I think just maybe my most fun takeaway was that Sam was saying that his impression is that there were about five players that Sacramento who five players that they believed were potentially gettable that they would have been willing to trade Tyrese Halliburton for Um, and and that was kind of in response to my whole you know how did Sam react to the reporting of all these teams being like well if we would have known that Tyrese was available um, and I think it falls into I when I asked you the same question of there's only so many DeMontis Sabonis level players that I would trade Tyrese for Um, but Apparently there were a couple in mind, which I think is um, interesting and maybe a fun thought exercise, but a couple different things in there talked about uh, looming free agency and uh, potential coaching candidates and uh, yeah, a lot of different things that Sam was nice enough to share. It it was a good conversation. I listened on my way down to the game yesterday. Um, So good work there with Sam. He, he's a great guest. Um, You know, there, there's a lot of things going on right now in the media world that, um, Sam is is right on the the forefront of when it comes to like Adam Silver's comments about uh, about media in the locker room and all that stuff. Sam's part of the Pro Basketball Writers Association like governing body. He, he's like I think he's a VP or something uh, at the P P B W A. Um, yeah, I always forget the the letters. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, he's he's an incredible guest and and good good get with you. Uh, having him on. I, I thought the the one thing I found funny was when Sam just like like about the the Pacers deal. He's like, "Man, Rick Carlisle is like running the whole thing there." And I'm like, "Whoa." Like, "Okay, Rick Carlisle's a guy." Like, uh, "Sorry, Kevin Pritchard. Sam Amick just said you got yeah. demoted." <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was I thought that was intriguing. I thought that was intriguing. Um uh, okay, so let's finish up here. Uh let's get to the business of basketball. Um this is fun because uh, I think, number one, it was kind of st- like spurred on by your conversation with Sam uh, because we're like, okay, like we were all sitting around the dinner table. Like, I wonder who the five could possibly be, right? So clearly Sabonis, clearly Ben Simmons, clearly um, probably Pascal Siakam, um, maybe John Collins, maybe not. Um, like we were starting to Caleb piece together. Brown, Brandon Ingram, like just yeah. ideas. Yeah, exactly. We we're, were like, okay, like who would fit if you were going to do something like that? Um, but it leads us to a bigger topic that I, I think, you know, it's one thing if we're looking at the Kings right now and saying, hey, look, how do they get better? How, you know, like this isn't good enough. This isn't good enough. Like, but who is going to be available? And I think the one thing that I, the Kings missed out on, a, on an opportunity, and I know they had plenty of conversations when uh, with the Portland Trailblazers um, leading up to uh, the trade deadline because I, you know, I know for a fact that there were conversations about Marvin Bagley and Robert Covington. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of things that were happening up there, um, but I think the Kings totally missed out on a guy like Norman Powell, who maybe is a little bit older, but really does fit into that realm of uh, Harrison Barnes level player, right? Um, And I think it brought us to the question of, like, if the Kings—what did they do this summer? Like, if you're going to 
let's just single out one position here. And to me, the shooting guard position is now pretty wide open. Like we're seeing Justin Holiday's on a contract for one year. Uh, we're seeing Dante DiVincenzo, who's a restricted free agent. We're, Davion Mitchell is going to play both the one and the two. Um, you know, Terrence Davis is going to come back at some point um, next season. Um, but if you had a way to improve this team, one of the biggest ways might to be might be to find an elite three-point shooting guy. And we saw one go out the door, Buddy Hield, who, whether you love him or hate him, uh, whether you live by him or die by him, uh, Buddy Hield still... Uh, I think he's still second in the league in three-point attempts, right? Uh, or three-point makes. So um, he's a dude who gets up the ball, the ball, and the Kings clearly need that. We already see it. In order for Fox and, and Sabonis to work, they need shooters. So, um, Brendan, just we had discussions on this, but like, who are some of your favorites Like, if you're looking around the league and saying, hmm, that would be interesting? Yeah, um, it is kind of interesting to try and figure some of these out. Um, you know, I think that while the two is an interesting opening on this team and they do need to fill, I kind of look at the four even more so. Um, and it's easier to get shooting from your two than your four if you're talking about elite shooting, right? Um, but I, I think that guys that stand out to me are you know, who can you swap Rashawn Holmes for? And like PJ Washington is a name that we've mentioned before, um, a mm -hmm. name that I thought there was potential with at the deadline. And we've heard Holmes linked to Charlotte before. Um, I know you like a different clipper. I kind of like the idea of Marcus Morris, um, add some size, toughness, shooting to the Sacramento Kings team. Um, yeah, I mean, John Collins obviously fits that, but he's a higher caliber player or um, that I, I think is is pretty obvious that people would be happy to add to this team. Yeah, so I, I think that there's a couple that, that stand out, but really when you're going through, you know, we're going through the free agent list um, together yesterday, there's so many guys, like everyone that we're talking about has an asterisk. Like I think the Kings probably have three different boxes that they want each player to check, right? They have to be a good three-point shooter um, with, with volume and efficiency. They have to be a average defender ideally better but at least average right and really they need a little bit of playmaking on this team still um so everybody that we ran into wasn't checking like one of the boxes there, yeah. there's no perfect fit on this team really well they are they're just really really good and the kings aren't going to get them fair enough i mean like being honest like there there are players that can check every box but, you know, the Kings aren't yeah. in on the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes. You know, if if a star-level player comes up, the Kings may have already, like, given up, like, the best they've got. Like, we might not see that happen again. Um, but, yeah, I, I think you're right. So some of the names we came up with, um, like, I'm intrigued at least. I, I don't, like, again, I, I don't love this player, but... If we're looking at boxes that can be checked, Luke Kennard checks a bunch of those boxes, and Norman Powell is now going to be the starter there, and Kennard's going to have to be something different. Um, so he's a guy who can really shoot the ball, high IQ player. Um, he does actually play reasonable defense. He does play make reasonably. So I like Luke Kennard. He's on a contract that would make a lot of sense if you were to do like a straight-up swap for um, – 
for a guy like Rashawn Holmes, which I think would make both teams way better. Uh, like I just think it would it would fit, and I, I actually think he's a more consistent knockdown shooter than than anyone else that Kings have at this point. Um, I'm kind of intrigued by Malik Monk, and I know a lot of people aren't. They're like, oh, come on now. And I, I just think that there's a connection there with uh, that, of course, is De'Aaron Fox's backcourt mate at Kentucky. And so there is ties there. And I think he's going to be much less expensive than most people think. I mean, he's on a league minimum deal making $1.8 million this year. And he might play his way into like a really decent contract because he's played solid. But like the Lakers don't have any money, so they're, they're not going to bring him back. Uh, I mean, they might, but I mean, it's going to be tough for them. Um, and so like, could you get him for a biannual exception, like 5 million a year, the, the deal that the Kings signed Rashawn Holmes to a couple of years ago. So two year, $10 million deal, maybe. And that to me, uh, he's a guy who can really, really shoot it. Uh, is he better than Terrence Davis? Is he better than like what you have? I'm not sure. Um, but I still think you need a volume three point shooter on this team. And then, uh, I, I think Josh Hart, that's a, the guy, uh, that, we, we kind of looked at, like, I think he could have been had at the deadline once he was traded to Portland. I think you could have made a move there and, and brought him in, um, even if it was like a uh, like breaking Jeremy Lamb off and, and sending him up there. But, of course, he's under contract for a few years. The contract grows, um, and you would have been looking at a situation where you're taking on a bunch more long-term money when the Kings probably still have an idea that they want to take a much bigger swing this summer and they're going to need some of that cap space to do something like that and not having uh, a guy under contract like, you know, Jeremy Lamb is an expiring contract. Not having him under contract is actually advantageous when you're going out and trying to bring in additional pieces during the offseason. So those are three guys that I kind of look at, and I would love to say that I think that they're guys that are way better that are obtainable by the Kings, but I'm not sure that there are. Like, we got to dig deeper into this and see if there's some other, like, mystical beast that's out there they could step in, but what the Kings need are players that are top six, seven of the rotation and are better than what they have right now. And I, I think some of those guys fit that mold, um, but none of them are perfect, like what you said. Yeah, and while they do need, yeah, top five, six, like they really need a, a third, a fourth. Um, and the issue is who knows how obtainable that is, but it kind of has to be. Like sometimes it you can make a guy obtainable if you're just willing to pay a little bit more. Um, and I think that like Sacramento is in a position where they just made this, uh, I would call it a win now move with Sabonis um, just due to team control lengths with, with between him and Halliburton where um, I don't think you can make that move and then go into next year and be fighting for the 10 seed. You know, like uh, you need to add more talent where maybe a coaching change can enable some of these other guys to play above their talent level maybe um, some growth and synergy between all these guys leads to this roster just performing better because I think like we said earlier they've underperformed for their talent level so if you know there's not even just reaching the point of performing at your talent level there's coaches that enable teams to play above their talent level so there's an interesting margin there in my mind for potential growth just internally um, but it needs to come and it probably comes through one more notable addition in my mind, a fourth, fifth guy. And, um, because you can't go into next year again as a 10 seed after making these moves. Yeah. I, I even think it's a third, fourth guy, like what you said, 
And that's why, like, I, I bring up Norman Powell. I just think, like, he easily could have been, like, a really, like, a, like, your third best scorer. And, and Harrison Barnes, it would have opened things up for Harrison Barnes to do a little bit more, like, off, you know, outside of being a scorer. Um, but I, I just, like, that was a, a good player that I think made sense. I think you got to look around the league and you got to find players that, um, that, like, just aren't fitting where they're at or, or you're willing to give up a bunch to get. Like, uh, you know, you're going to have draft picks. You're going to have, um, you know, some expiring contracts that you can work with. You're going to have Rashawn Holmes that you can work with, who I, I, you know, it's nothing against Holmes. I just think it's better for him and for the Kings if he's on a different roster next year because you got a gigantic center who's going to eat up all the minutes. Um, so, yeah, uh, outside of that, I, I'm not a fan of the Morris Twins. So, uh, you know that. But uh, we've, we've talked about I just – I'm just not a huge fan. Um, yeah. So, and I, I don't mention Gary Harris before. Yeah. Um, three and see, D that's, is the idea. Yeah, that's it. That's see, a uh, Gary Harris is a, is an interesting dude. And I think, I think he's unrestricted this summer. Um, yeah. I, I think the, the Kings need to find more players at, at that skill level at the, at the next step. And what you just talked about with like r- room for growth with this team, I think the biggest room for growth is, is De'Aaron Fox still. It's where Fox really, I don't believe, will come into the season like he did last year, uh, like he did this year, and just have such a horrible start. I don't think that's going to happen. I think we're going to see the the real De'Aaron Fox stand up from here on out. And and so I, I think that does take some stress off of you. Uh, but at the other, you know, he still needs help. And Sabonis still needs help. And, you know, Harrison Barnes still needs help if he's going to be here. And so I, I think it opens up a lot of different things. Um, they they need help, but it's also at the point where De'Aaron, I don't think, can have the same excuse from the outside looking in of, well, he's who look who he's playing next to. Like, oh no, that's over. Yeah. yeah. So now it's like, I'm sure that he recognizes that and uh, takes this as a moment of we're trying to win basketball games right now. So you yeah. know, the same way that he's like, we don't want to waste these performances from Demonis Sabonis, um, then. Don't, let Don't them waste get it. wasted. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. Um, all right, Brennan, do you have any final thoughts? I don't. Um, well, I guess these next couple games are really important. Um, you know, Denver is every game throughout the rest of the stretch is really important, I guess. But Denver's a tough opponent um, that they're about to go into Denver and play. But after that, you have OKC, New Orleans, San Antonio, Dallas, and New York, and while some of those are, are maybe kinder opponents than others, um, it's a really important stretch because the Kings are three and a half games out of the 10th seed, with that still being the obvious goal, even if that's maybe not the end-all, be-all for this team because there's still potential to grow in the next season. Um, but you're playing teams that you're directly competing with, with New Orleans and San Antonio. And I think part of the reason it's, it's so important is you need to gain some positive momentum. You've lost three games in a row at this point. Um, and, and you do really need that positive momentum because after that, you're looking at Denver, Utah, Chicago, Milwaukee, Boston, Phoenix. Like that is a tough stretch. Murderers row. Yeah. So you really have to capitalize on the easier teams because, um, yeah, at that point, you're going to hit that really tough stretch. And if you underperform and only win one of those games, like it doesn't take much for the Kings to have a little poor stretch and all of a sudden be like, all right, the 10 seed's probably not happening. I think it's already probably not, but it goes even further than 
probably not. <laughs> yeah, this is a put up or shut up moment. Like it, you need to win. I mean, I, I think you're right. Denver is tough, but once you get past Denver, um, you got to you got to string together four, five, six wins. You, you, this is the moment. If you can't do it now, then you're not going to do it, and you're going to be. We got to end the discussion about about playing and all that stuff. If, if you if you don't come out of this stretch, uh, like four and two or or even better than that, you know, five and one. Um, then like, let's just, let's just kill the discussion because mathematics start to, uh, catch up with you. Like there's no way to get around it. Yeah. And there's a, there's a good vibe and optimism around the team. But if, uh, you make this trade and close out the season poorly, um, again, momentum going into the off season is just as important, even if they're not getting that 10 seed. Uh, but you feel like there's potential and growth and moments of showing promise, then there's an excitement among the players, fan base, organization, maybe outside players that are debating coming in rather than you could um, really underperform, I think, based on what we've seen and go into the offseason with the same stink of, oh, man, now we're just going to do this all over again and Kangs. And so even uh, if you get out of position of the 10 seed and feel like this three and a half game behind Hill is is too hard to climb, I, I think the positive momentum they could build is about more than making the 10 seed this year. I agree. I agree. All right. Um, that's going to do it for this edition of the King Speed Podcast. Um, make sure that you, again, jump on and hit the subscribe and the like button. Uh, wherever you listen to, yeah, the thumbs up. Wherever you listen to your podcast, uh, give us a rating and review. We appreciate that. That helps with uh, just promoting those things up higher up boards like iTunes. Um, so, so do that for us if you can. Um, and then jump on board with the King's Beat. And, and we also, we have the merch shop open. Uh, you get cool stuff like uh, the Fire and Ice sweatshirt. Um, all that stuff is, is uh, our first run is shipping in the coming days. So that's super exciting. And uh, I hope to see some people around the arena wearing uh, King's Beat stuff. Um, so for uh, Brendan Nunes from the King's Herald, and the King's Pulse podcast. I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. Uh, we will see you on Tuesday, and hopefully uh, we can talk about some King's wins. 